Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Gordon Doan, and today we're going to be talking about tenant types and consistency. But before we get into all of that, I thought I'd tell you about my week. So this week I managed to do overdo my running. Um, so I've been running consistently now for the last um, three or four months. Um, I've, as you know, I've been uh, slowly increasing my mileage and I've been doing pretty well at that. I've been pretty pleased. Um, and on last Friday, I did, I think I might have mentioned it last week, um, I did my longest run. I did the seven miles, so just over seven miles. And then on the Saturday, I was feeling really good about doing the seven miles or just over the seven miles. And I thought, you know what? I can go further today. So instead of doing my planned distance, I did uh, even more. Um, so we got up to about eight and a half miles. So pretty good. And I was feeling pretty good about it, feeling really good. Um, recorded last week's podcast. Everything was fine. Woke up on um, Monday morning. So I did the two back-to-back runs on Friday and Saturday. Had Sunday I uh, no exercise. Uh, in fact, I played golf. And then on uh, Monday, I woke up on Monday morning and my legs and hips were absolutely killing. So um, the golf course, playing golf on the um, on the Sunday didn't help. So that was a really hilly golf course. It was a lot hillier than I was expecting. Um, so I could feel myself as I got through the 18 holes of golf getting tighter and tighter and it reflected in my golf. My golf went rapidly downhill there on the second half of the course. Um, so what I realized I'd done is just overdone it a bit on the, um, on the training. So, um, I kind of learned a lesson from that is even though you're feeling good, you kind of got a plan and you've got a plan for a reason. So stick to it. Yeah. You know, you don't necessarily, don't, don't overdo it. Just because you can do more doesn't mean you necessarily should. You've kind of got to really be thinking about it and, and be self-aware of where you are at any given time with your skills and your ability. Um, so my ability obviously hadn't caught up to where I thought I was. Um, so although it was a pretty positive run in itself, the impact of that was that then I had to cut out my training runs for the whole week. So I didn't do any exercise at all last week. Uh, or during the week because um, I was recovering and I thought um, I'm just going to make myself worse. So I consciously made the decision if if I do the training that I was planning to do, I'm going to really get myself into some trouble. I'm going to really um, do some some damage and I you know have a longer recovery time. Um, so take the decision to cut out the training this week, have some um, rest instead. Um, I went and saw the chiropractor and he kind of um, maneuvered everything back into the right place. So hopefully um, it's all sorted um, after the visit to the chiropractor. Um, so I'm looking forward to doing a smaller run. Oh, well, I did a small run on Saturday. I did the park run um, uh, again. So that was really good. Felt good after that. Again, feeling good as if I could have done a bit more, but I didn't really want to overdo it. So I just stuck with the 5K. Um, and this week going forward, hopefully... Um, everything should get back on track. So the key message there that I've learned is kind of don't overdo it, be self-aware, aware, aware of your skills and your ability, and don't don't try and outperform yourself because you're only going to get yourself into a bit of trouble. So the other thing I wanted to mention about this week was, so I went out for dinner one evening with a friend of mine um, who I hadn't been out for dinner with quite some time, quite nice to catch up. Um, had a really good time and she actually recommended an app to me uh, on my mobile phone, you know, a mobile app. 
Um, so I downloaded that and it, uh, tried it out and it worked quite well. So the app is called Too Good To Go. And um, basically you download the app. Um, it, it will automatically um, locate, you know, it use your phone GPS to locate where you are and it will measure um, where local restaurants in your area are that have signed up to the Too Good To Go scheme. So basically what it is is a food waste reduction scheme so at the end of um, meal serving times, restaurants can um, sign up to um, the Good, Too Good To Go app. And basically, you sign, you go on there, you get a ticket for the next day, and uh, you get a really cheap meal. So this worked out really well for me. So I tried it at the weekend, uh, just gone. Um, and I, got, um, I went to a local Chinese uh, buffet restaurant, and um, I think I paid $3.29 through the app, and I got two... Um, big of the takeout containers of Chinese food to take out. So that was really good. It was really good value. You know, you'd probably paid five, six pounds for each of the tubs. So I had two. So it was quite good value. Um, so it was worth doing. Um, and you're reducing food waste. So it's all, you know, there's nothing wrong with the food. It's all good. It's just what's left at, at the end of each serving. So instead of throwing it away, um, they, the company are able to sell it and you get a cheap meal. So everybody, everybody's a winner kind of thing. So that was really good. But the other reason why I wanted to talk about that, so that and the app, the app in itself was really good. I definitely use that again. Um, for me, um, it was really useful because, um, so as you, most of you will know, I'm single. Um, so I tend to, um, go out with friends and stuff. Um, but it saves me sitting in a restaurant by myself. Um, so actually, weirdly, I'm all right going out to eat by myself. It doesn't kind of matter, bother me too much. When it does bother me is it, it's at those uh, buffet kind of restaurants because I've had it before where I've got in, um, gone up to get a food and come back and they've cleared the table because they think some, you know, the person's gone or whatever. Um, so I, I learned my lesson, of, uh, a, a while back with that, take a jacket or something with me and leave it on the back of the chair, but it saves that hassle. So I, this worked out really well. So I got a nice Chinese meal, brought it home and had it, had it to eat. So that worked really well. But the other reason that I wanted to, to mention it was uh, around the kind of service for uh, the restaurant. So um, I, I kind of turned up at the restaurant. So the time that I had um, through the app had registered for was, um, I think it was 3.30 to 3.50. So, you know, you've got a 20 minute window, you can rock up and, and get your food. Um, so I rocked up at 3.30. Um, so obviously it's between meal serving. So it's between the lunchtime serving and it's between the evening service, so the restaurant was fairly empty. There was probably about seven or eight people in total sat, you know, around the, the restaurant, fairly spaced out, you know, lo loads of empty tables, um, plenty of space in there. Um, so I walked in and I stood at the front of the restaurant. You know, they have the little, um, like, um, booth um, where they ask you to wait to be seated. So I stood there for a few seconds. Um, a lady came um, flying out from the back and, and told me that... Um, table wouldn't be ready for 15 minutes and then ran off again uh, so before i even had a chance to say anything to her she disappeared again so i kind of took a step to try and catch her again but she'd uh, she'd already disappeared so i was like oh ah, uh, oh uh, so i was just left stood at the uh the, the um booking in booth thing um looking around and two things crossed my mind because it was crazy because i could say it's between the two servants so first of all the restaurant's three quarters empty i'm not quite sure why it's going to take 15 minutes to seat me um in a restaurant but b um i'm not after a table anyway i've just come to collect the food so 
at this point I was stood at the front and the barman obviously saw me, he took a bit of pity on, pity on me um, and he called me over and he said, oh, can I help you? I said, oh, yeah, I'm here for the two good to go. He said, oh, great, um, here's some containers and just go and help your staff kind of thing. So and, and then, so I went and got my food and everything was all right and I left and everything was good. Um, but what, what it was worth reflecting on was is that um, the service there of the first lady that I interacted with when I walked into the restaurant, you know, my expectation as a customer, if I'd have been coming in for a meal, would have been pretty negative at that point. Um, because obviously, like I said, the restaurant's half empty. You know, why is it going to take 15 minutes to seat me? You know, if there was a genuine um, problem in terms of there wasn't enough um, staff to be able to seat me for, uh, you know, for that length of time, then, you know, why not say that to me and, and ask me to sit down and wait? Or would I want to drink at the bar while I'm waiting? That kind of thing. Um, so it's kind of just a reminder. It was a reminder to myself that, you know, when you're in a job, um, you should be operating with that owner mindset, not a kind of worker mindset. Because if you're in that worker mindset, you're never going to outperform anybody. And I think I saw that quite clearly there that, you know, there wasn't really a service given to the customer. So, I, you know, that could just so easily have been improved and, that initial contact would have been pretty good and would have given me a, a good feeling and I'd have probably, you know, gone, although I will go back again because it wasn't that bad that I wouldn't go back. But, you know, it's got that potential to those little things to add up and eventually drive a customer to go somewhere else instead of coming back, which is a shame because the food was really good. And I'm sure the rest of the service, if I'd have sat in the restaurant, would have been pretty good. But it was just a bit of a strange and bizarre way to kind of introduce yourself to a customer so I thought, you know, like I said, as I was thinking, what stood waiting for those few seconds, I was like, oh, just never operate in that kind of mindset where I'm changing um, your time for money. Because if, if you're in that and if you and, and you know, everybody there has a job um, to do. But if you're in that mindset of I'm changing my time for money and, you know, my time's important, you know, you're never going to deliver that over and above service, like I said. So um, try and outperform everybody else. Um Try and make sure that you make your customer experiences as good as possible. Um, so I've looked, you know, as a result of that, I was thinking, well, how can I make my customer experiences a bit better? Um, so I've just had a look at the website and tweaked a few things on there to try and hopefully help people out. Um, I've tweaked a few things on my social media pages over the last uh, few days. So hopefully those kind of things will help the customer. So it's always good to be thinking about what you can do to help your customer. Now, whether you're whether you're a landlord and you've got um, tenants as your customer or whether you're um, uh, a property management company and the landlords are your customers, um, you know, always think what can you do to, to help improve improve the customer experience because that's going to bring your customers back time and time again. So that's uh, my week in review. Um, a bit deep there for the first bit, but uh, let's get into the main subject area. So I had a conversation with somebody this week about um, tenants. Now, it wasn't specifically, the conversation specifically wasn't about tenants. It was actually about how to um, increase the profit from um, a property. So he had, the person I was speaking to had a property, um, it was HMO, so House of Multiple Occupation. I um, can't remember how many rooms it had, he said it was. Um, so let's say four rooms in there um and he had each room rented out so it was full full occupancy 
and it was rented out to students in um, a, a local town, so um, to university students. So there was quite high demand for um, HMOs in the area. He's got his house, um, or that, that particular property anyway. Um, so it, the room was always renting out okay. He never had a long period in between students being in there. So there was a very low amount of voids for that particular property. So we were talking about um, ways that he was trying to increase the profitability of his business. So one of the ideas he had come up with was um, next time um, the yearly cycle of students leaving comes, so next time the majority of his tenants leave, he was going to try and change the tenant type of that property. So instead of having students in there, he was um, the property was also nearby a local hospital. Um, I believe it's quite a sizable hospital. I've never been to that um, town, so um, I, but I believe it's quite a sizable hospital um, from what he was telling me. Um, so he was going to try and go into the hospital um, talk to somebody in the hospital, get some notices up in the hospital and see if he could rent the rooms out instead of students, but to doctors and nurses. Um, and therefore, as a result of changing the tenant type, he might be able to put the rental price up slightly. So I think, um, so I was talking to him about that this week. So, um, uh, he's, I don't know whether he's still planning on doing that or not. Um, but I thought it was an interesting point that actually, depending on the different tenant types you've got in your properties, you could have the exact same property, you know, on the same street. You could have two properties adjoining each other that are exactly the same, identical in all ways. And you could have students in one, a family in another, um, uh, professionals in another, all making slightly different um, profit because of tenant types. So. It was an interesting thought that I had running through my mind that actually you need to be aware of your, your strategy and how that's going to affect your bottom line. So, you know, obviously when you people are talking about students, typically the student rental would be lower than a professional rental um, if, if you're particularly aiming for students. Now, that might not necessarily be the case. So you might have a room and you don't really mind who's going in it. So you, you might advertise a room at a certain rate. And obviously, you're not going to change that rate depending on who um, who um, applies for it. But you should be aware that, you know, if you're aiming for a certain tenant type, a certain customer, you know, your customer avatar, so to speak, when um, if you're talking about it in a business term, you should be aware of what that avatar is going to have, what effect that avatar is going to have on your bottom line. So that bottom line can be massively impacted by that. So it's worth thinking up front, um, you know, sometimes you acquire a property and it's already got tenants in it, so you have very little choice, but you, you can, there's always opportunity to change that tenant makeup over time. So there are a number of different tenant makeups. So I covered, I mentioned most of them already. So obviously you've got um, students. So these are, you know, typically university, college students. Um, they're usually um, HMO, you know, houses of multiple occupations. So usually you have uh, multiple students in one house sharing house. Um, you can have uh, professional um, tenants, so whether that's doctors and nurses or, um, you know, teachers if you're near a university or um, people who, um, you know, management from a local car manufacturer, um, whatever occupation are around you, those are all professional um, tenants. Um, so that's another type. 
Um, and again, that can be in houses of multiple occupa- uh, occupation, or that can be on a buy-to-let basis as well. You know, you can have um, professionals in there. Um, families, so typically you wouldn't have families in a house, house of multiple occupation, HMO, um, but definitely in a buy-to-let, um, you, you can have a family home and rent out to families. Um, you can have um, uh, people on benefits, so um, work with the local council to house um, local people who are on the local benefit schemes, and that's always an option. Um, and each of these different tenant types has different pros and cons. And like I said, those pros and cons can affect your bottom line. So it's worth doing some research into your local, uh, you know, other properties in the local area. So if you're thinking of renting out to students, do uh, a search for um, rooms that are being let out to students in your area to get an idea of the quality of the room and the prices of the rooms that are being let, let out. If you're renting out to a family, have a look, you know, go to a local estate agent or have a look online still and have a look at those kinds of properties that if you 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 had you and your family or you had a family yeah, that you would be interested in going to rent and see again about the quality and the cost of those to to make sure that you're you're kind of playing in the right ballpark because again you know if you take the student um, tenant type as an example you will not necessarily need to have um an absolute pristine house in the best condition um, with the top of the line furniture, top of the lines kitchens, and everything in there, because typically your tenant type is going to rotate round quickly. So, um, you know, you, you, whereas in a family buy to let, you might have that to one client, you know, to one customer, to one tenant um, for a period of, you know, say five to ten years. Even you could have the same person in there on a buy to let, but typically you, that's going to happen less often and much less often for um, students and. Um, HMOs and things like that. So, um, so you don't need top of the line kit in a house when somebody's going to be rotating around that quickly because that's not necessarily what that tenant type is looking for. They're just looking somewhere to come and lay their head at night because um, they're out at college all day, out drinking all night. So they only need to come back for a few hours, sleep it off, and then out to college again. Um, professionals might be slightly different. Again, you know they. They're out at work all day and they come home in the evening and want to chill out. So and they're going to spend slightly more time in the property and typically they won't rotate around as much either as students. So, you know, maybe a slightly higher quality of kitchen and property finish um, than a student type. So it's worth having to think about your tenant type and how that you know, reflect your strategy and how your strategy reflects that as well. So have a think about that. up front. like I said, you can always kind of change and adopt it as you go along. Um, and improve everything as you go along. So as you find tweaks and, and uh, improvements to processes, always implement those improvements as quickly as possible. And you can do that with tenant types as well. So if you've got, um, you know, if you're having problems in a property with a particular tenant type, then why not try and change that tenant type and see see how you go then. So, um, so yes, yeah, so that's tenant types. I just wanted to cover that off quickly. I think it's quite an important thing to think about up front when you're, creating this property strategy because um, it's going to be your client and create your avatar around um, your perfect tenant type. Um, so actually, I've, I've said avatar a couple of times today, so it's worth knowing what that means. Um, some of you may not or may have already heard that in a business sense. Um, typically, an avatar, when you say an avatar, it's just, it's just another phrase for your ideal customer. 
So usually you go quite in depth when you're creating a customer avatar. So you're kind of having detailed um, uh, picture in your mind of what that ideal customer is like. So it's kind of how old they are, what sex, what sex they are, um, what hobbies they have, um, what interests they have, how much money they make, uh, all that kind of thing. All those in that all those pieces of information can be brought together to define your customer avatar. And depending on what business you've got, you know, you might have um, a different detail for your customer avatar. So for a property business, you know, it might be enough to say, right, I'm going to be targeting students. But for example, if you've got a um, fitness studio, you've got um, your own gym, your own fitness studio, you know, you might need more detailed uh, customer avatars and you might actually have several different customer avatars so you might offer gym classes solely aimed at uh, women so, or you may offer classes solely aimed at men or you may offer um, an over 60s class or something like that so you, with each of those different um, classes or um, projects you know you, you will have a different avatar and the same with property you know s certain areas you might have um, one tenant type and another property you might have another tenant type so those are going to be different avatars depending on what you're doing you know and another customer avatar might be your landlord so you might have a um, avatar of um, you know somebody who's retired um, they're managing a portfolio of properties but actually they're, they're looking to reduce the amount of work that they're doing during a week or month um, so they're looking to outsource some more of their property stuff you know they may have an income of um, you know x hundred thousand or x million pounds through property a year um, and you're going to target your business at that particular client type that that particular customer avatar um, um, to try and work with those kinds of people so like i said that's so that's all a customer avatar is um, like i say it's different with each business so if you're not in property have a think about what your customer avatar is and even if you are in property, you know, it's always worth having that in the back of your mind as well. So the other thing I wanted to talk about today was consistency. So over the last few uh, months, well, since the beginning of this year, really, I've discovered that consistency really is king. You know, it's about being successful is all about taking consistent action. Um, I've said it on the podcast a number of times before and kind of breaking big goals down into smaller goals and going after those smaller wins, so which makes it more manageable and more tangible, um, uh, which I think is really important. But if you can't be consistent at getting those small wins, then you're not going to achieve those bigger goals and objectives. So you've got to really go after the consistency of taking action every single day um towards whatever goal it is so if you've got two or three goals you really should be progressing each of them in some way every day so for example i think i've mentioned on the podcast before um i did a charity boxing um event last year um september last year really great I had a great time really enjoyed doing it um i did did you know did all the training um uh, did all the training i don't really think i could have put more into the training i had a fantastic time i really enjoyed getting fit as a result of it um you know it's where a lot of the it's created the base and the foundation of the fitness stuff that i'm doing now and a lot of the reason why i'm doing a lot of the things i'm doing now like the running and um 
um, deck cards workout and all that kind of stuff is because I wanted to take my fitness to another level after the boxing and keep consistent with it. Um, because in my actual, in the actual fight, so in the boxing fight on fight night, um, I was up against another guy, um, and I got absolutely whooped. Uh, so, so you know, I think I'm pretty sure I mentioned it before. Um, and my ass absolutely kicked, ended up black and blue, but I loved every minute of it still. Um, and I, and I, you know, sat afterwards. So I was thinking, you know, what could I have done? And the thing is, I don't think I could have done any more training. I did, uh, did the required training. I did the addition. I did actually did additional training as well. I had a couple of, well, I had regular extra coaching sessions on top of the kind of training from the, um, from the course that it was, um, on you kind of had got given a, I think it was eight weeks free training twice a week, um, through the club. So I did that, but I also did another one, uh, another training once a week, one on one with, uh, with one of the trainers. Um, obviously I was doing some running and stuff as well at the same time. So I actually did a lot of training. Um, now the guy that I was against, um, uh, he was, uh, quite a bit older than me. He was probably 20 years older than me, I'd say. Maybe not quite 20, 15, 15 years older than me. Um, you know, about 15 years older than me, I'd say. Um, however, I think the reason why he won was, um, not necessarily because of his skill, because when I watched the video back, um, I don't think he was necessarily more skillful than me. We were probably quite evenly matched skill, um, skill wise. Um, when you're looking at it, you could see we both had a similar kind of technique, which is probably why we were, we were partnered up. Um, as the fight progressed, you could see that I kind of ran out of steam quite quickly. Um, and looking back at him, I think, um, you know, he was a well built guy. Um, and speaking to him, he had been a military quartermaster, you know, a quartermaster in the military. Um, so obviously he had been training for however many years he'd been in the army. I'm not really sure how many years he'd been in there, but it was obviously been a long time. You know, I'd say at least 15 or 20 years, probably he'd been in the military. So he'd been training consistently over that time. And, you know, no matter what you do, if you're doing something every day for 15, 20 years, you're, you can't help but get better at it. And, that, you know, it's the same with fitness. If you're doing 20 pressure press-ups every day for 10, 15 years, you're going to get stronger. You're going to be able to do more press-ups. So it's taking that small action and doing it consistently. So when I was sat afterwards thinking about the fight and what, you know, why I lost and could I have done anything better, you know, it was that consistent action. So I hadn't trained for years beforehand. I'd only done the kind of eight weeks training. And although I put my best into the training and done a little bit extra on top, of the training, you know, it wasn't 20 worth, 20 years worth. So what, what I learned was that anything that I do today, I'm going to reap the benefit for in 10, 15, 20 years time. So really I shouldn't be doing anything now that I can't, uh, or I'm not able to do for 10 or 15 years. So for example, um, recording the podcast, you know, um, I'm recording a podcast today. Could I record the podcast every week for the next 10 or 15 years? Yes, I think I can do that. I don't think that's going to be, I might have run out of uh, content in about 10 or 15 years time, but it's a nice, repeatable, easy process that I've now got down. Um, you know, it wasn't easy to begin with, but I've kind of got a nice little process now that I tweak still every now and again, um, but I've got it going. But it's a repeatable process that I can do over and over again, and I quite enjoy doing it. You know, if I went into the, 
you know, to take the fitness as an example, if I went into the gym and I said, you know, I went and saw a trainer and I said, um, you know, put me on a fitness program um, to get me a six pack, for example. Um, and they said, right, what you need to do to get you a six pack is to do 250 burpees every day. You know, I'm just never ever going to do that. You know, I might try and do it for the first two days um, and then I'd slowly um, break down slowly. Um, lose interest and get a bit um, despondent and um, unenthusiastic about it. I'd miss a day and then I'd be missing three or four days. And then before you know it, a couple of weeks have gone past and I've not done it or even gone to the gym to think about doing it because it just wasn't in my skill set to do 250 things. Now, 250 burpees. Now, if you said to me, go in and do 10 burpees every day, that's much more manageable and achievable and I can be consistent at doing that um, to to get to be successful. So I can go and do 10 burpees every day um, if that was what was prescribed. And I wouldn't feel kind of anxious about that. And I know that, you know, I'd, something major would have to happen that I couldn't do it. You know, maybe I, you know, for example, if I'd overdone my training on the other stuff, I might struggle doing it. But I should be able to be, do, be doing that consistently. Now, if you take that into property world or the business world you know can you be seeing 10 estate agents a month is that a consistent thing that you can do if it's not break it down to smaller chunks if it is or if you're finding it too easy increase it somewhat but whatever you do you've got to be consistent and take consistent action so everything that you do you must be able to do it consistently for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, however long you think you need to be doing what you're doing to be successful. Now, obviously, success doesn't come overnight, so it's going to be 5, 10, 15, 20 years, however long it's going to be. So you need to be prepared to take that consistent action. So I think and that's it, really. I think that's just super important that you, you that everybody understands that it's that consistent action that takes you to the next level so doing that just doing whatever it is it doesn't matter how small a thing it is as long as you're doing consistently you're going to get somewhere at the end of the day at the end of the year at the end of five years you're going to be further forward than where you are now all it might be you know if if you're uh, a gardener and you're um to get business you um drop leaflets uh, around um the local neighborhood so maybe you commit to doing five leaflets a day uh, dropping five leaflets a day that's quite an easy manageable chunk to do you know you can quite easily go it's going to what take you less than five minutes um, to walk around five different houses and put uh, a leaflet through the door um, and if somebody happens to answer you know answer any questions introduce yourself so you know it might take five six minutes to do that um, but you can do that once a week no problem and what if you do that once you do that twice you do that three times you're going to get into the routine of doing it and once you realize that actually this this has become easy, can you now increase it? So can you double it? Can you do 10, 10 leaflets a week and do that and then do that consistently? And once that becomes easy, increase it again. So that comes back to the self-awareness thing that I was talking about earlier. You know, if you're self-aware that what you were doing has become super easy and you're kind of on autopilot and it's routine to do it, can you increase it or improve it anyway to try and take yourself to that next level? So I think that's it for today. Thank you very much for listening. Hopefully that's helped. 
Um, just in summary, you know, um, to go over what we've talked about, um, we talked about tenant types. So a couple of, di- uh, a number of different tenant types. We talked about students and professional tenants, families and, um, local, um, benefits, um, claimants, um, working with local councils and the impact that each of those tenant types has on the bottom line and on your strategy. So always remember to, have a think about your strategy and what your ideal customer avatar is um, before you get going, if you can. Um, and always remember that you can tweak it and improve it as you go on, the same as anything else. Um, then we talked about consistency and how consistency is king, um, how everything you do, you should be able to be consistent at. Don't set goals or um, actions that you can't consistently achieve um, because you're just going to become demotivated. Um, make sure that you kind of set yourself up so you can do particular actions for one year, five years, 10 years, whatever it might be until you're successful. So like I say, hopefully that's helped. Um, that's been another quick episode from us today. So, um, hope, hope everybody is, uh, keeping up with everything they need to do and has reviewed their goals and actions coming into the second quarter because we're now firmly into the second quarter. Um, so hopefully that those two last episodes helped you with setting new goals and um, progressing um, to the successful outcomes that you want to achieve this year. Um, so thank you very much for listening. Hopefully that's helped. Um, stop listening to me. Um, go and look at your tenant types if you're a landlord. And if not, go and review your actions and make sure that you can consistently achieve them. Thanks very much. See you next week.